You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi friends, this is Annie. And I'm Johanna, and welcome back to the freshest of hells. Yeah, we're so grateful that you listen to us. Yeah, thanks. Yes, thank you to all of you out there. And as always, we want to give a special shout out and a special thank you to our newest Patreon members or Patreon patrons, I guess. And they are Sarah Cole, Kobe Calloway. Stay off the ledges, Kobe. Shailen. Yeah, that's a pretty name. Jean. Yeah. Hi, Jean. And Rhonda Perrin. Hello. Thank you so much. If you want to know how to join our Patreon and what marvelous things are waiting for you there, uh, <laughs> just listen until the end of the episode. We tell you everything about it. But now we should jump into today's episode. Annie, what do you have for us today? So I think a lot of us have been thinking about vacations this year, right? Mm -hmm. Either vacations we've missed, uh, vacations that we're saving up for since we can't do anything else this year. I mean, there's nowhere to go out to eat or go to a movie or go to a concert. So put all that money away, save it up for a vacation, rescheduled vacations, our favorite vacations. So uh, yeah, what a coincidence because that's our upcoming Patreon episodes. We're going to be talking about traveling and vacations. Yeah, I think that's what got me thinking about it because I think so many people in the Patreon group are like, travel, <laughs> we miss it. So yeah, I and I think that's why I wanted to talk about it's another one of my favorite places on earth, which is the island of Bermuda. Have you been there before? No, I haven't, but I always wanted to go. It's been on my list ever since I watched Help. Is it in Help? I don't think I've watched mm -hmm. Help since I was in high school. But yeah, I'm really lucky. I have been to Bermuda twice, and I cannot wait to go back. Beautiful island, beautiful people inside and out. My aunt took my sister on a cruise to Bermuda to celebrate when she retired. She was also really infamous for her 13th birthday trips. My Aunt Ree was my mom's older sister, and she never married or had children, so we were really, really close. And she'd always do something big for our 13th birthdays. And so when our nephew turned 13, it actually wasn't very long after we lost Ree. And so Moose and I took him to Bermuda for his 13th birthday. So it was just a really awesome family trip and... I have a lot more on Bermuda that I'm going to tell you later, or I'll probably save it for the Patreon episode. All right. Uh, so this case is from the Victorian era in Bermuda, and there is not a lot of information, but what we do have is, I think, very compelling. And some aspects of this case really gave me chills. I do want to let you know that the, we are going to be discussing domestic violence leading to murder. And... Also, some of the forensic evidence can be a little difficult to hear. It gets a little bit, it gets a little grisly sometimes. So maybe don't eat while listening to this one. This story makes me, well, I don't know if I think it might be a ghost story or if there's karma involved, but it's definitely one of these stories that kept me up at night thinking about it. And I want everyone to know what happened to Anna uh, so that we remember her because I'd never heard of this before. Uh, I can't wait. It sounds like something right up our alley, which sounds weird to say when it's a case about domestic violence and murder, but I think you all know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Absolutely. And first, (laughs) some of you will love this, some of you not so much, but I have a few interesting facts about Bermuda. So the island of Bermuda was discovered in 1503 by Spanish explorer Juan de Bermudez. And I use the term discovered because Bermuda is an island with no indigenous people, likely because there's no fresh water source on the island. And I should really say islands because you guessed it, (laughs) it's an archipelago. I think we need a t-shirt that just says archipelago. (laughs) (laughs) With the right pronunciation. (laughs) For those of you who don't know why we are laughing, you should go and listen to the two episodes on Floriana. Yeah. All right. So it wasn't until 1609... When the ship Sea Venture, on its way to Jamestown, they were on their way to help the starving colonists with a resupply, but on their way, they encountered an awful storm. And the Sea Venture, it was such a new ship that this will make sense to people who know ships, but the wood hadn't settled yet. And so there was spaces between the planks and they were taking on water. So Sir George Summers, he was the admiral of the London Company, and he himself made the decision to deliberately drive the ship onto the reefs that surround Bermuda. which ended up saving the lives of 151 souls, more specifically 150 humans and one dog. This was a brave move. The island had previously been known as the Devil Devil's Island or the Island of Devils, mostly because the dangerous reefs made for a lot of shipwrecks. And also there are indigenous seabirds that are very shrieky. They're very, <laughs> they're really alarmingly shrieky apparently and so yeah they scared people away for a good long time much like myself (laughs) (laughs) anyhow the wreck of the sea venture i have to say is believed to be the inspiration for shakespeare's the tempest i was an english lit major so i'm contractually obligated to tell you that bit of trivia the survivors were on bermuda for about nine months before they built two new boats that got most of them to the Virginia colony as planned. A few stayed behind, and in three years, Bermuda became a British territory and has remained part of the Commonwealth through today. St. George was settled in 1612, and that makes it the oldest continually occupied English town in the Americas. While the first settlers of the island were white British people, before long there was a really racially and culturally diverse population. Some of this was um, a lot of people from the West Indies and Portugal had migrated. Um, Portuguese is actually the second most spoken language after English. And then, of course, the human slave trade. There is one interesting story. I mean, there's more than one, obviously, but particularly interesting story regarding slavery and Bermuda that I came across researching this story, and it happened in 1835. So slavery had been abolished in the British Empire in 1834, but the business of enslaved humans was still very much booming in what would be the United States of America. And in 1835, the ship Enterprise was headed from Virginia to South Carolina, and its cargo was primarily enslaved people who would be sold at the markets there. The ship encountered a really bad storm, just gale force winds, and it was blown off course, ending up in Bermuda, which is about 650 miles off the coast of North Carolina. It's actually only a two-hour flight from here. It's, It's close. So they anchored in Bars Bay, and they needed to replenish their ship's stores before continuing on to South Carolina. But customs in Bermuda was like, oh... Hang on there. You've got 
78 humans on board that you're planning to sell, and we don't allow that here. And so they refused to allow the ship to clear customs unless a choice of freedom was given to the men, women, and children who were locked on board the ship. Locals heard about this, and they rallied to the cause, and eventually all of the enslaved people were taken off the ship and into Bars Bay Park, where they were greeted with a lot of cheering from the locals. Each person was given the chance to stay in Bermuda as a free man or woman, or to continue into the Carolinas to be sold. Only one woman and her five children chose to go to the Carolinas. And I can only imagine she must have had family there she was hoping to find. It makes me very sad. But more than 70 enslaved people were given their freedom that day. So, yeah. That's super sad. I mean, it's great. A great story. Yeah. But. mm. Yeah. That it even has to be told is... And I don't want to whitewash the history of both slavery and indentured servitude in Bermuda because it is very much a part of the island's history. But it's like you read about the slaves being set free and you're like, that's wonderful. And then the following year, they build a school and it's like, this is great. But there was still segregation. And then so like when all of Bermuda's slaves were freed, for example, the year before, the men that were working as slaves building the Royal Navy dockyard, they were immediately offered jobs at the going wage. So you're like, yes, this is great. But then you read that the island, they raised the amount of property that you needed to own in order to vote. So that still kept them from voting. So it's like, ugh. and it's just, you read about how they started a campaign encouraging people to emigrate from the UK to Bermuda, but that was because they wanted more white people on the island. So make no mistake, the little island, like pretty much everywhere in the Americas or anywhere with colonialism. I think everywhere in the world, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It has its own just complicated and really upsetting racial history. There are some really great links in our sources if you would like further reading. And if you visit Bermuda, you can follow a trail tracing the history of slavery on the island, which I might check out the next time we go visit. But it's just not what we're, we're not going to focus on that today. But it is somewhat relevant to our story. In the 1850s, yellow fever ravaged the island. Today, we have a vaccine for it. But back then, the disease, which was uh, mosquito-borne, was absolutely devastating. A lot of this information comes from a great website, which is Bermuda Online. And it seems to all be written by Keith Archibald Forbes, which this website has incredible wealth of information. So thank you very much, Mr. Forbes. All right, so let's get to the story. This case really moved me. I tried to find, I tried everywhere to find more information, and it was really hard to come by. There is some mention of it in the Amazing Bermuda website that I just mentioned. There's an excellent piece in the Bermudian magazine by Sandra Campbell, and that's the piece that I read that initially, I read it, and I was just lying awake thinking about it. The rest of the information comes from pouring over a bunch of old digitally scanned volumes of the contemporary paper at the time, which was the Gazette. Most of that is the trial Uh, not the crime as it occurred. I'm really grateful to have it. It's online thanks to the University of Florida Archives. Go Gators. All right. We don't know as much as I wish we did about Anna Regina Evans Skeeters. I know that in 1878, she was in her late 30s or early 40s. She had some gray in her hair and she worked as a domestic, as a laundress for a wealthier local Somerset family. 
She was very close with her aunt, Letitia Simmons, and with her daughter, Lydia Burt, who was around 16 years old and did not live with her mother and her husband. I don't know what happened to Lydia's father. I think that both Anna and Lydia had lived with Letitia until she married Edward Skeeters, and then it seemed that Lydia stayed with her great-aunt, Letitia. I couldn't find anything about her parents, but in a lot of the information you read from the time, Anna is described as a light-skinned black woman or as mulatta. And mulatto or mulatta is not a word I would use today, but my understanding of the origin of the word was specifically used to describe the child of an enslaved black mother and white slave owner father. So this would have almost all of the time been rape. I don't know if that was the case here. We don't know. But it is a possible clue to her background. The timing and her age would fit, if that makes sense. We know her brother, John Evans, was a seaman on the HMS Spitfire. We know that she had that 16-year-old daughter, Lydia, and her last name was Bert, but I don't know what happened to her daughter's father or if they had been married. It doesn't really matter, except I just don't think that in the 1860s, a woman would choose to have a child on her own. So... No. Yeah. you right? Mm. So I'm assuming there's something else, something happened there that we don't know about. And the same goes for her parents. What we do know is that around 1870, Anna, who was universally described as lovely and sweet and kind, she married Edward James Skeeters Jr. Now, she had known Edward's family her whole life, so they were either family friends or it was a small town, maybe both. Edward must have also been sweet and kind at one point, certainly charming, but also problematic because when he was courting Anna, he was also courting another young woman by the name of Hannah Morris. And there were rumors that he was seeing both Hannah and her mother, Elizabeth, and that he was quite the ladies' man. And Aunt Letitia, she was not happy about this. Sorry to interrupt, but maybe that was one of the reasons why Lydia, was it Lydia, right? Mm -hmm. Didn't live with her mother and her new husband at 16. That that thought has absolutely Mm. crossed my mind. Yep. We just, I didn't find any proof of that, but I suspect that very well could be it. And Aunt Letitia had words about, you know, the way he was behaving with him before they got married, but it didn't really do any good. Edward was, I think he made a pretty good living. He was a sort of jack of all trades. He did some farming. He owned a small boat that he fished from, and he worked at the Navy dockyard when he could get the work. Anna kept their small and tidy cottage in Somerset near Daniel's Head. She had lost two children, two babies, with Edward, and I'm not sure if it was during pregnancy, delivery, or infancy. I mean, all of these three would certainly be rather common at the time, right? I know, I know. It's such a hard thing to go through, and if it wasn't bad enough that she lost both of the children from this marriage, Edward was also abusive. And that's that's another thing that crossed my mind is, did he cause something to happen? Mm, true, yeah, yeah possible. She had been seen with bruises on a number of occasions. Once at his father's house, he shoved her down and his father told him, you know, what are you doing? Do not treat her that way. And so he responded that she was his wife and he'd treat her however he wanted to. And his father said, well, that might be so, but you're not going to do it under my roof. Another time a neighbor remarked that he beat his wife too much and he responded, quote, It was not the hardness of the licks, but that her skin was thin and cut quick, end quote. 
And this was a really common excuse used by people who whipped their slaves. So I think we know what kind of man he was, but it gets worse. Once when her eye was swollen shut from a beating, she went to the local magistrate for help, but was told that this was a domestic matter and not really any of his business sent her on her way home. There were a few times, at least three over the years, when she'd leave and stay at her aunt's, but married women didn't really have much freedom, and women of color even less. And if the physical abuse wasn't enough, he was also notoriously unfaithful, and publicly unfaithful. And Hannah Morris, she was the daughter of Elizabeth Morris. Edward, I mentioned before, did some farming. And so what he did was he would use the land that Elizabeth owned and he would plant crops on her land and pay her a third. So sharecropper. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so and Hannah was the woman he was seeing at the same time as he was courting and marrying Anna, yeah. right? So the one Anna's aunt, Letitia, said she spoke to him about. Exactly, yep. Okay. So when our story takes place, Hannah is about eight months pregnant with Edward's child, and everybody knew whose baby it was, which I can't imagine, you know, seeing them all the time at church. Mm. It must have just been an awful slap in the face, you know, having lost both of her babies with him. So just an incredibly strong woman to go through everything that she had gone through. So on Sunday, October 20th of 1878, Anna woke up early and went to work in the morning. And then later that day, she arrived at church looking quite cool despite the heat. Her hair was up, her dress was white with small blue polka dots, and her parasol was white with a green lining. There was a wedding at the church before their service. It was the third wedding that day, actually. And so Anna was among the parishioners waiting outside to see the bride and then go inside for their own service. Her father-in-law, Edward Sr., came over to her to let her know he had spoken to the foreman at the naval yard and that he had wanted his son there that next day with some men to move some coal. This is a good day's wages, and so she said she'd let him know, and Sr. said the foreman wanted a response tonight, and so she said no problem, she would pass it on. Also that day, there, waiting to go into the church, was a very heavily pregnant Hannah, and I don't know exactly what happened. I've read a couple of accounts. Some say that Hannah's sister was involved. Others say she wasn't. She claims she wasn't. Whatever happened, somebody definitely made hurtful public comments to Anna about how pregnant Hannah was and that she was having her husband's child. So, you know, Anna makes it through church, and I'm sure she was just devastated as she makes her way home afterward. Mm. This poor woman. I just, yeah. Especially as it is uh, apparently a small town, everybody knows everybody, or a, s a small yes. community. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So the next day, that Monday, Edward starts making the rounds, and he's asking if anybody has seen Anna. He said that he'd gotten home late that Sunday night, and that he'd found her gone. Some of her clothes were gone, and all of their savings, which was around six pounds, I think, was gone. He went to Aunt Leticia, and she said he was all shaky and talking fast, asking if she'd seen Anna anywhere, and she tells him she hadn't seen her since yesterday, and he could post in the Gazette about it, but it might be too late to do that for today's edition. So then he runs into his father and his dad is like, 
Hey, why aren't you down at the dockyard? Didn't Anna give you the message about working today? And Junior's like, no, I got home and she was gone. She took our life savings and she just had enough finally and she's left me. And I think I actually found the listing that Edward posted in the Gazette saying that she was missing and that he'd like information about her. Interestingly, the name the name reads as Skaters and s- instead of Skeeters, which I have occasionally seen as an alternative spelling. And this is partly why people who do genealogy research pull their hair out, I think. But I do wonder if it was intentional or deliberate. Like, if they were sort of known as both, did he use the less common one to make it Do you know what I mean? To make fewer people realize she was missing. Maybe, yeah. In any case, he's going around just telling anybody to listen, oh, woe is me, woe is me, my wife has left me. She took her life savings and she left on the steamership from Bermuda. But her friends and family, they're all like, fuck you, absolutely not. We know you've done something. Okay, so they immediately suspect him of some wrongdoing. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think Chris Watts style. Yeah. I think everybody yeah. knew that even his own family, right? I think everybody was like, mm. well, but there was no proof. There was just no proof. And so a group of women that she was friendly with went to the magistrate and he's like, sorry, there's no proof. So they went to a local witch. I tried so hard to find out more information on the local witch. I couldn't. I, I don't know what happened there. But finally, I think there was basically like a, a small... I would say a small foreign faction, but it was, yeah, it was probably, it was just a small group of righteously furious women who descended on the Skeeter cottage and did a search. And they did find clothes that looked like they were covered in blood, but it was 1876. And so maybe it was rust. There was no way to tell either way. You know, I don't know why your clothes would be covered in rust, but again, who can say? So they left. And the sheriff locked Edward up, but actually he did it only for his own protection from these people, from these women, so they wouldn't kill him. And the whole time he's protesting his innocence. And oh my God, isn't this terrible? His wife has left him. She's taken everything. And now he's been locked up and he's woe is him. And so that was that. Until a week after Anna went missing, a group of fishermen were watching the water, and it was just a really blustery, blustery, uh, windy, windy week. And they hadn't been able to get out in their small fishing boats for a couple of days because of the chop. And as they're gazing out at the white caps, they notice an area in the bay where the waves aren't really moving the way they should be. All they see is this odd patch of calm. But it's several days before they're able to make it safely to the area that they'd noticed to see what was causing it. So a small group of men, including Anna's brother, John Evans, they took two boats and they rowed out to the site with nets, handmade grappling rods, and long fishing ropes with giant fish hooks attached. And they spend a long time rowing back and forth over this area, dragging and dragging with no luck. And then finally... They feel like they've, they've caught something. Something's giving resistance. And so it was about six and a half fathoms down, which would be about 40 feet or 13-ish meters, give or take. And so they slowly begin to pull on the lines because they don't want anything to break. And they're slowly pulling and slowly pulling and they feel something give. 
And what emerges from that beautiful, clear crystal water is an absolutely horrific sight. Up came a skeleton, or most of one. Uh, The head was missing, as were the arms. The legs were there, but the feet were not. And I have here some of the testimony from Anna's brother, John Evans, and this is from the Gazette. Friday, the 30th, fifth day, so this is the trial. John Evans. I am a seaman on board the Spitfire. Anna Skeeters was my sister. Knew she was missing on the 22nd or 23rd October. Picked up some remains in Long Bay, where is the regular channel to Chub Cut on the 30th October. The coroner's inquest was held next day. I noticed a calm a few days before. I went out at noon with Pilot Scott and two others. There were two boats. We commenced dredging with 200 fathoms of small rope with fishing hooks strung along the line and iron bolts attached, one end in each boat. The calm was very apparent. The second time we came in contact with something heavy at the depth of six and a half fathoms, which we hauled till we came over it. Scott looked through a water glass, I afterward, and saw something about a fathom from the bottom having the appearance of a skeleton. We took our landmarks and buoyed off the place. We then concluded to lift it and get what we could and judged by the strain that it was attached to the bottom. After heavy hauling, something gave way and a part of a skeleton was brought up and placed in one of the boats. No head but arms or legs attached to the body, very little flesh, slimy and strong scent. No clothing, nothing attached to it, no feet. I doubt if the skeleton parted when it broke adrift. End quote. Okay, I think we can assume it's Anna's body they found, and it's so sad. I mean, her own brother had to find her, and it's always horrible to find a body, and then she's been in the water for a week. Yeah. It's it's bad. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. And so they took what was left of the decomposing body, and I think we all know where they brought the remains. Uh, Okay, if you ask like this, I guess the nearest house. Yep, that's right. They bring in the mostly skeletalized partial remains, and they bring it to the closest house, which in this case is... Uh, Anna and Edward's house? Yeah, you got it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, better to there than to Aunt Letitia. Right, exactly. And her daughter, Lydia. Yeah, exactly. Thank God. I feel like in every other case, that would have been it. It would have been like, let's pass by uh, the prisoner's (laughs) cottage and take this to her aunt. You know, it's, I don't know why they always do these things. Okay, so they have remains. And just as we have guessed, they must have guessed who they had just pulled out of the water. But were they able to really identify the body because there was parts missing? Yeah. The head? Yeah, they suspected and the coroner's inquest believed that the body being mostly skeletonized, which I think the coroner's inquest took place on Halloween. So that would have huh. been 11 days after she was missing. So they found her 10 days later. And so they definitely thought that it was her. And the coroner agreed that it fit with her being mostly skeletalized with being in the ocean for a week or so. So they thought for sure it was her. But just to be on the safe side, the authorities asked Captain Moresby. He was the British naval officer commanding the dockyard at that time. And so he sends a message to him. I was so excited when I read this. If he would please send divers from the HMS Terror to the site. I was just like, ooh, the the Terror, your favorite. (laughs) (laughs) 
That is exciting. You know, I love the story and everything, everything to do with the Franklin expedition. I and know. I want to cover the, the terror at one point. It's yeah. so fascinating. I had no idea. That's information that's absolutely new to me. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So these divers, and I really wanted to look more into like what diving was like at this time, but I didn't get too far into it. So they recover a lot of evidence. And this is another direct quote from, again, from the trial from the Gazette. So this is testimony from George Francis. And he says, I am an able seaman on HMS Terror. I am a diver. On October 31st, I dived in Long Bay Channel going out in one of the dockyard steamboats. Where the place was buoyed, Pilot Scott was there. Went down about 8.30 a.m. in six and a half fathoms. Found portions of women's underclothing, flannel petticoat, chemise, and stays. Went down three or four times. I took the things ashore, all found within 20 yards, in circumference, in my diving boat, to the house where the inquest was held. The second time, I brought up a cotton petticoat and a portion of a woman's hair. And at the same time, I saw a stone with a rope attached, close by the spot, which I brought up after dinner, weighing about 80 pounds. The rope was tied in a groove cut round the stone, the one now produced. The bottom was a white sandy substance, small soft stuff, neither mud nor sand. I gave the things to Siggins the constable now present. End quote. Okay, so she had been weighed down, tied to a stone. Yes, and there are a few things to note here. So that stone, it had no barnacles on it, so... It hadn't been in the ocean very long. And that specific type of stone was all over the shoreline around where Edward Skeeter's boat was moored. And on the night Anna disappeared, there had been a bright enough moon for him to take his wife's body and throw it overboard, weighed it down with the stone. And he wouldn't have needed a lantern that might have been seen from the shore to do that. So it's not looking good for Edward. And he's already in prison, remember? He's just being kept there for his own safety. So... Easy to track him down and arrest him for his wife's murder. A month after Anna died, Hannah, the woman that uh, Edward was cheating on Anna with, she and her baby died in childbirth. That's really sad. It's incredibly sad, but it's also... I don't know. The fact that her brother was in this little group of people that just happened to be looking in this spot in the bay where... I mean, it was probably adipose from decomposition, right, that left a slick on the water. But if the water had been a bit rougher or calmer, or if they'd been looking in a different direction, or if the weather had been okay enough for them to just be working as normal, they might never have noticed. Anna's body might never have been found, and Edward might have just convinced everyone that she'd just taken their life savings and left him. So that was amazing to me. And then... A month later, Hannah and her baby die in childbirth, and I know that is very common at that time, but if I believed in curses, I might have believed that someone maybe cursed Edward Skeeters, or it just makes me think about the witch the women consulted. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say that, I mean, they went to a witch, mm -hmm. but also he put out a lot of, of bad energy into the world, so... He did, and then part of me wondered, you know, Anna couldn't do anything. Mm. It makes me want to cry. Anna couldn't do anything to help herself. She literally, there was nothing she could do while she was alive. But were there things that she could do from the other side? I don't know. It's like the Greenbrier ghost. I know. 
both the people who wronged her in life were dead not long after, and it's... I don't know, it just makes you wonder if there was something supernatural at play, even if I know technically it can all be held, you know, explained. It's just, it just gives me... Too many coincidences. Yeah, right? I get the yeah. chills a little bit. Okay, so the trial was held in the spring of 1879, and I think everyone who lived in Bermuda at the time testified. Like, just it was just person after person. Some of them were just like, you know, my my name is Joe Smith. I don't know them. I've never seen them. <laughs> it's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> like, great. The worst part. The worst part of reading about the trial was, so you remember it mentioned the hair that they retrieved from the ocean mm -hmm. floor. So they showed that hair to her brother and they handed it to her aunt at trial and her daughter. And there's a part where her, her aunt says, yes, this is her hair. Like, I remember the gray that was in it. And I remember brushing this hair as a child. And it's like, it's devastating. And then, of course, her aunt and her daughter and her friends identify the clothing that was found, part one of item of which was a bandage. I mean, she had handmade bandages, which I guess you would have back then, but she would have needed yeah. them more than others. And they recognized her stitching, which was, I think, an indication of how close these women were to recognize someone's stitching. Right? That's... Wow. Just thinking, because I've been uh, doing a lot of hand stitching lately, and I'm yeah. just thinking, would I even recognize my own stitching? I don't think so. I don't know. I just finished reading the book Alias Grace, and mm -hmm. I yep. haven't watched the, I haven't seen the film yet, or the show, but I know in that one, she talks about how, you know, she sewed as such a small child that she had these perfect teeny tiny stitches and everyone could recognize it was her stitching. But I think that must be either rare because you're so good at it or yeah. you're so close with people. Or so bad. Or so bad, right? My, that would be mine. Yeah. It would be like, well, this is a hot mess. This must be Annie's handiwork. But yeah, I think in this case, it was it was her friends who loved her and who spent a long time sewing, sitting and sewing with her. And it just shows how close these women were to her and, and how they never gave up the fight for her. Pretty much everyone they called testified against Edward. Her family, his family, neighbors. Oh. I mean, the stories I had about his father, senior, you know, saying, don't knock her down in my house. That was from the trial. So like literally everybody testified sort of against him or they testified to the abuse that she suffered and the infidelity and nobody, nobody could give him an alibi. Yeah. So it was pretty clear that he was responsible. Oh d yeah, definitely. And he pled not guilty, but everybody knew that he was. And the jury took less than half an hour to come back with a guilty verdict. And then there was the sentencing. And I guess when they would sentence you to death back then, the judge wore what's called a black cap. But in reality, it's like a black hanky that they just kind of drape over their powdered wig. So I guess once you saw that, you knew it was, you know, What wasn't looking good. You were getting the death penalty. And if, if you're feeling bad for him, don't. I'll fix that. Because a few days before his execution, Edward confessed everything to the editor of the Bermuda paper. And what had happened that night, it's actually really bad. It's, it's bad. So that night, when he returned home, after not going to church with his wife, but he did visit the very pregnant Anna, he was confronted by Anna, who was just devastated and just really upset and disapproving about how, you know, 
It was one thing the way he treated her, but he was now publicly humiliating her. And Mm. he got really angry with her for saying anything against him. And so he threw a lit oil lamp at her head, which burned her scalp and forehead. And when he saw the damage that he had done to her face, he was afraid she would go back to the magistrate. And he just didn't want to deal with the issue, the hassle. He didn't want to deal with the town giving him the stink eye for being the pathetic human who enjoyed hurting his spouse. Uh, So he strangled her to death. Uh, Probably nothing would have even happened to him for doing that to his wife or just like a slap on the wrist. But that's some prime example of escalation in a domestic violence case. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, which really, uh, the the part about her scalp and forehead being burned with hot oil, it's horrible because my grandmother had something similar happen to her, but by accident when she was a little girl. But it was uh, not uh, hot oil, it was boiling hot coffee and she had to wear a wig for the rest of her life. Okay, now you're giving me chills because the same thing happened to my biological grandmother, but with boiling water. Yeah, boiling water. And she also had to wear a wig. Yeah. Huh. That's weird. All right, I've got chills again. (sighs) So, yeah, it's just hard to imagine anyone doing this to another person, but we know this happens far too often. Yeah, and it's always so... It's awful. Very sad. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about to get worse. So I guess it's about 10 minutes, he says, after he thought he'd killed Anna. Uh, He's working on hiding her body. I don't know exactly what that means, whether it was rowing out to where he disposed of her or whatever the situation was. But at some point, he realized that she was still breathing. And when he put her into the water, tied to a rock, she drowned. And he also confessed that he never thought the sea would give her body up until Judgment Day. But he thought wrong. That's horrible. Also reminds me of the Hugo Schenk case. Yes. Yeah. (sighs) And because he had previously strangled her and thought she was dead, I'm telling myself that she was brain dead and you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's just what I'm telling myself because... She suffered more than anyone should in life, and I just hope that's how it happened. So, Edward Skeeters was executed by hanging on July 2nd, 1879, and they hung up a tarp to prevent public looky-loos, and it seems like the paper had also written like a, how dare you to the women (laughs) who were being unladylike for attempting to attend, like even though the women were the majority of the people who really loved Anna and had created you know, the situation whereby he could be hung in the first place. Yeah. So the night he was hanged, the cottage at what was known as Skeeter's Corner in Somerset near Daniel's Head, the locals burned that house to the ground. And uh, one last detail is Edward is buried on an island and other, there are a few other convicts buried there. It's, I think it's just a small island that you have to take like a kayak or something to get out to. And the stone that he used to sink Anna's body to the ocean floor, the stone that was recovered by the diver of the HMS Terror is used to mark his headstone. Wow. That's some heavy symbolism there. Right. Yeah, Mm. but because that was not done to save stones. That was a big fuck you to that guy. Oh, yeah. Like, for all eternity, he had to look at that headstone. That's right. And I don't know if... I don't think anything's carved on it. I think it's just a rock. 
And then this was the case that led to, in August of 1879, Bermuda formally established a police force. They realized a lot of what they currently had in place was just outdated and not of use. And the act begins, I actually have a picture of the first page of the act, and it begins, quote, Whereas the present police force is deficient in organization, discipline, and efficiency, and it is expedient to reorganize it under more efficient management, end quote. Good. Yeah. It is good that Anna Evans, who was very beloved mother and niece and sister and friend, and her death did lead directly to the creation of the Bermuda Police Force. So at least something positive, somewhat positive, came from just the incredible tragedy of her life and death. I just... I don't know. It's so sad. And I, I just imagine her in that white dress with the tiny blue polka dots mm. and the white parasol lined with green. It's just, it's such a vivid picture in my mind. I can just see it against that turquoise water with her hair piled up, just looking just cool and peaceful and beautiful forever. And um, yeah, that's the very, very sad story of Anna Evans, Skeeters. It's very sad. Very sad. Never heard of it. Never heard that part of uh, little HMS Terror's uh, history. There. Yeah, it's very yeah. interesting. It really is. It's um, it's very common. You know, the history of abuse leading yeah. to murder, as you said, we see it a lot in the U.S. You can visit uh, thehotline.org, which has a lot of information about getting help, or you can call one eight hundred seven nine nine SAFE which is 1-800-799-7233. We also, of course, have all of that information posted uh, in a pinned post in our Facebook group. Yeah, there are also some international hotlines and yeah. pages you can visit. Absolutely. Thank you, Annie, for that story. It has this supernatural feel to it. It really does to me. I don't yeah. know why, but I just have this something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Makes the hair stand up on my arms. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Okay, guys, our 100th episode is coming up. Can you believe that? No. And we asked around what you would like for, for that special occasion. And most of you guys said that you would like another listener story episode, which we love. Yeah. And apparently you love too. So if you'd like to have a personal story of, you know, murder mystery or the macabre that you want to share with us and our listeners, we'd love to hear it. Please tell us what part of the world you're from and what name you'd like us to use. And you can send it to us uh, via email, which is freshhellpodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook. Yep, Facebook. And in the past, you know, we've done this before, but I think we've mostly done it for like ghost stories. Yeah, yeah, Halloween. Mm. This is more tell us murder, mystery, macabre, you know, yeah. open it up. We know we know a lot of you have interesting stories. Everything creepy and horrible that happened, yeah. Yeah. Tell us what got you into it all. It would be great if you could send it to us until end of January. Please. So we have enough time to prepare a nice episode for you. Yeah. What about something good, Johanna? What have you got? I have something super good. Really exciting news, but I don't want to share it yet with you guys because I don't want to jinx it. No jinxing. But there's finally good news and, or let's hope that's good news. Annie, you know already what I'm talking about. I do. I do. But let's just say, guys, keep your fingers crossed. 
And maybe next week I already have more information for you. Uh, the other something good is my husband was here for 11 days and he left yesterday and today he called me and he realized that he has still 14 days of vacation left until end of February. So he's coming back beginning of February for 14 days, which That's is great. Awesome. And it was just, it's crazy because with all the, the COVID lockdowns and things like this, we didn't even realize how little he was home. Yeah. And yeah, he's coming home again. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really good news. Something good from you? Mine is the beautiful island of Bermuda. I can't I can't spend time talking about a murder that happened there and not mention that it's one of the safest places. I've never felt danger for a second in Bermuda. I love Bermuda. Yeah, also, I would like to be especially grateful for really wonderful aunts who teach you the value of walking into a place like you not only belong there, but that you're bored with it all already. Just walk yeah. in like you're bored. I also want to send a shout out to our amazing tour guide, Marcus, who on our last trip, which was, oh gosh, five years ago, he really made it possible for me. So thank you. And to our friend Angela and her wonderful family and their dog, Bailey, who is living a fabulous island doggy life in Bermuda. We were able to spend a day with them on our last visit, and it was just a top 10 day of my entire life. I'm incredibly grateful. She also sent me some photos of the jail where, so I have a picture, an old photo of the jail where Edward was held to protect him from the mob. But today it's all been redone as a home and it's beautiful. I think there's like a, there's like a virtual tour. So I'll post that as house porn. Um, <laughs> if I can figure out a way to share it in the Facebook group. And yeah, I love Bermuda. <laughs> Bermuda shorts. And I think I think you have a lot of stories I have. about Bermuda and about your travels yeah. at all. And um, that's what we're going to be talking about in our next Patreon episode. I think we mentioned it several times already. If yeah. you love our murder, macabre, mystery stories, there's no need for you to check out our Patreon because over there we really just talk about everything else. Yeah. And it's super chatty and super personal. Yeah. We talk a lot about us. Yeah. And yeah, next episode is going to be about traveling and about our favorite travel stories that yeah. we experienced ourselves. And Annie is going to talk about Bermuda a little yeah. bit more. Yeah, I'm going to tell you how hitchhiking sometimes can lead to getting your hair braided. So things happen sometimes. Listen, sometimes life isn't in our control. <laughs> And if you want to know how to join Patreon, you either go to patreon.com and you search for Fresh Hell Podcast, or you go to our webpage, www.freshhellpodcast.com, and there you find all the links, not only to Patreon, but also to our Facebook group, to our email, to our box where you can mail us things, if you like, to our merch store. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Everything is there. All the things are there. Thank you so much, again, for listening. Uh, I almost forgot one thing. If you have the tiniest, tiniest amount of time and you like our podcast, please do us the huge favor and go to iTunes if that's what you're listening on. Or I think Spotify. I'm never sure if you can rate a podcast there, but I know on iTunes you can. And leave us a rating and or review. It really helps us out a lot. And we read all the reviews and we love them. All of them. Every single one. Yeah. I know I talk too much, lady. <laughs> <laughs> okay also uh say hello to all of your pets for us every single one of them we miss them we yes. love them absolutely and always treat them kindly always always and 
Until next week, if you're going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. Bye.